This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Fourth Estate, a show about journalism. We're coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on the Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Monica Attard. This week, as we enjoyed the warmer weather of spring, came news that change is indeed in the air. On Monday, just as Sky News CEO Paul Whitaker was fronting the Senate Media Diversity Inquiry in Canberra, so did the news drop of a potential tectonic shift in the bedrock of News Corp in this country. The company has traditionally taken a broad and at times a downright sceptical stance on climate change, but that was to be no more as the company plans to get right behind the net zero target for 2050. But the details are sketchy. If rumours are correct, a two-week campaign will kick off in October, fronted by journalist Joe Hildebrand, and it will talk up the job opportunities of a net zero 2050 target. This campaign, many think, will mark a formal shift for News Corp. What does it all actually mean and should we actually expect much of a change in Australia's largest media company? So to dissect all of that, we have with us two journalists joining us via Zoom, Hugh Rimmington, who is the National Affairs Editor for 10 News First, and Cam Wilson, who is Associate Editor at Crikey. Welcome to Fourth Estate and thank you for joining us today. Great to talk to you. Okay, so let's let's start with, uh, with a glass half full look at this issue. Hugh, This is potentially a huge moment in Australia, if you take climate change seriously at least. What was your first response when you heard about what News Corp was planning? Scepticism, but not surprise. Um, I think people who have taken an institutional position against climate change uh, over the last decades have found themselves with a major, major problem, and that is that position has become... uh, less and less uh, sustainable to the point where it has absolutely no credibility whatsoever. And in fact, if you look at um, Scott Morrison, um, you know, the the view of a guy like Morrison is that he's a kind of an immovable object on, on these things, but Mm. he's not, he's, he has been steadily walking back from the man who brought the lumps of coal into parliament. Uh, Were it not for Barnaby Joyce's uh, return to the national party leadership, there would be no question that he'd be supporting uh, net zero emissions as you might 
which is off to Glasgow and meeting up with all the other the leaders. Uh, so there's that break that's been put on him by Barnaby Joyce's resurgence. But but he has has traveled across time uh, to try to find a position on carbon emissions, on global warming, uh, that at least in part aligns to the science because it was becoming ridiculous and self-defeating not to take that position. And mm. I think those forces are exactly the same one that News Corp is facing. And so institutionally, uh, I, I believe that the reports that uh, the Fairfax Press, the nine newspapers have put out are accurate, uh, are broadly accurate, um, that uh, the News Corporation outlets are going to editorially support a move towards net zero uh, by 2050. Mm. We'll get into the detail of what they might have planned in a moment, Hugh. Cam, can I come to you at this point and ask you, do you see this as, as a as a as politically significant as as Hugh does? Yeah, on the surface, it seems like a big move. But when I first saw it, I I chalked it up to being an extension of climate change denialism in 2021. Um, And this is what I wrote for Crikey, where I said that we had this IPCC report, which came out um, just under a month ago, which said that we have to take drastic action right now to to stave off more than 1.5 degrees global warming uh, in the next decade or so. And to commit to a net zero by 2050 does not actually uh, just does not actually achieve that. Although the IPCC report has, you know, say let's move towards tw- uh, net zero by 2050, it calls for drastic change. You know, I think it was the IPCC vice chair said that we need 45% by 2030, and of course, uh, countries like Australia probably need to do more than that. So. Because of that, I actually saw this, although it seems on the surface to be a bit of a change in attitude, really to say that we're to to not actually argue for more significant changes. To me, can, it seems like it, you know it's it's News Corp again, either not believing the science uh, that we have to do this now, or just not caring about the consequences. Or, or maybe you're just asking too much from an organisation that has been uh, taking the position that it has for so long. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that, and like, and make no mistake, like, I it would be a big change. But for me, you know, as a journalist, using the science has to be, um, you know, the the framework of how we at least uh, judge the decisions, or at least, um, I guess, position the decisions that are made by others. And for me, the IPCC report is actually a a very sensible thing. You know, this is a kind of consensus from the top scientists, and so to say that, well, if you're not meet, reading uh, meeting those goals. That's not a radical, um, uh, um, I think, uh, way of framing it. I think it's actually kind of conservative. Mm. Hugh, um, I mean, I guess the announcement does beg the question, you know, what news organisation that reports the news in a fair and balanced way should have to make such an announcement in the first place? What do you think? Well, um, yes, this, you know, the science has been you know, one thing about the latest IPCC report is that there's nothing radically different in the science. It says that uh, we've got, a, you know, the effects are happening faster. Uh, but what what it really has tended to do is just simply reinforce what was already there, there you know, what it emerged from previous reports. Uh, this, you know, the remarkable thing about this IPCC report is it wasn't a radical difference from what was being said, you know, decades ago. Uh, it just gives more data and more confirmation Around what was already known, with a greater sense of urgency. So, for um, for anyone who has sustained the argument that the science is 
um, you know, not settle, which is a great line to use to say that you don't have to do anything, but uh, all the other variations, you know, previously in the network that I work for channel 10, we had Andrew Bolt on our show, uh, not on our show, on our programming slate, um, you know, declaring bullying scientists, declaring them warmest, declaring anyone who reports climate change to be uh, warmists, you know, the notion that they're um, disturbing the mental health of children, uh, this sort of carry on. Um, it's you know, highly aggressive editorial positioning towards people who are just simply trying to report the science and what it actually involves. That has been unbelievably destructive to the debate within Australia. It's been damaging in an enormous way. So while I completely agree with Cam that if they're just going to come to a point of, of supporting net zero by 2050, that would appear to be barely sufficient as a, you know, as a starting point. We're going to need to do more to stop the warming of the planet, uh, reaching critical feedback loop positions where it just starts to get outside our control uh, to 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 resist those forces of physics, but it is enormously significant in that it it empowers, it gives license to the political classes to be able to speak out about what needs to be done, and I think the degree to which politicians, particularly on the conservative side, um, first check mentally with what Rupert might want or what the newspaper editors that answer to him might want before they make any utterance now have license to perhaps um, not take a position that they don't believe. Um, and and it, it allows a shift to take place. And I think that actually has real significance. Okay. Do you agree that there's a benefit in that? Yeah, of course. I mean, from a purely pragmatic perspective, right, any change is good. So, look, I, I do understand the the reflex to say, well, great, you know, we see, um, I think what nine papers called in their reporting, one of the most influential players in the climate wars of the last decade, uh, I think that was pretty ne- neutral about their role, um, to see them soften their stance, of course, like is, is a good thing. But I, I guess I just keep coming back to the framework, which is that, you know, if we kind of take this almost... Uh, you know, viewpoint where we set the sides of the arguments based on how um, political parties have traditionally kind of, you know, set the terms of the debate. I think that's actually missing what the real um, terms of the debate are, which is that we have this scientific document, which, you know, sums up all the stuff that we've had so far. That's what we should be using to set um, how we're acting. And so from that sense, I'm a little bit more sceptical about how significant this is. Well, so I suppose a, a negative spin um, on, on what you've just articulated, Hugh, would be that the the IPCC third report published, you know, just un, under a month ago, um, Biden in the United States has made it very, very clear where he wants to take the United States. Add to that the Glasgow conference, which is not too far away. Is the timing of this announcement from News Corp, do you think, uh, just them allowing or giving Scott Morrison a little bit of wriggle room? Yes, um, but he kind of needs it because his his wriggle room was being reduced by Barnaby Joyce's return. Mm. And the significance of that shouldn't be understated. The National Party has had uh, a, an enormous capacity to disrupt progress on this, just ask Malcolm Turnbull. So uh, this, I think, helps some of those in the National Party 
and you're not going to get all of them, but some of them say, look, you know, it's an inevitability or let's try and accept that zero by 50 is 2050 is fine. Uh, You know, we'll fight over some other details somewhere else. But, you know, so I think that that process is is going to take place, but it just puts a bit of, of extra weight on the scales on the side of some common sense outcomes out of this. There is no question, there is no question that of um, westernized, industrialized economies and nations, the number one most exposed to a warming planet is Australia, Mm. the possible exception of the Netherlands, with um, much of its landmass being under sea level as it stands at the moment. But, But Australia and regional Australia is going to be where a great amount of the suffering is going to be in a warming planet. Mm. And yet we've had this dialogue across the country that nothing can be done that can possibly harm. No, no amelioration uh, techniques can be used that might harm in any way regional Australia, as if without real action, uh, you know, regional Australia just glides along in its green and pleasant land. It, it ain't going to happen. And so this is the part of this debate that that has somehow stalled it's 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 so blindingly obvious how vulnerable we are and that we need to be a party to a process globally and towards a, a you know the leading edge um would we be doing anything if europe and the united states weren't doing something mm. um you know we are everyone gets shamed into it they know what's required people are not stupid um but sometimes they need to be shamed into it by other like countries and the business of Australia being a standout in this and having that as a sustainable position cannot last. Uh, so yes, it's right to say most of the emissions are going to be coming out of China. There are other emissions, which at the moment we seem powerless to stop bushfires, for example, uh, uh, proliferating around the globe. And they have um, a, a, you know, they emit carbon. Every tree that burns is carbon released. And so that's what we talk about. One of the many feedback loops is that the hotter it gets, the more bushfires, the more carbon gets emitted, the more bushfires, because the hotter it gets. And so to battle against it is going to require all the technological genius that we can bring to it, economic approaches, um, policy, boldness. But the alternative is really deeply unpleasant for the planet. And I think that's slowly dawning on people. Okay, let, let me continue to play devil's advocate here. And I'll, and I'll put this question to both of you, and I'll start with an answer from you, Cam. But is it common sense as well to think this is just really a revenue move, that, that corporate Australia is gearing up, it's becoming increasingly vocal on this issue, and it's in turn setting quite aggressive targets for itself? And, and you, can't, you can't take money from people who you are calling fools. So is this just News Corp, you know, addressing what could be a significant revenue problem for itself. Yeah, I mean, potentially. We did see, I think it was polling in the last two weeks, saying that uh, voters in every electorate of Australia uh, support doing more to to deal with climate change, support more climate action. So it is very clear that as an idea, it is a, a very popular idea. Doing more to to help the environment is something that people want. When you kind of get into the details, that's where it gets a little bit 
you know, less clear. So t- there is no doubt that there is a, um, you know, there is a corporate interest for News Corp. And I think that, you know, sometimes when people talk about News Corp, they make it out to be this big, bad, you know, one-way empire with Rupert Murdoch at the top and he, you know, decides an editorial and then he flicks it to all these editors and all of them, you know, scribble it down in their own ways. That's not how it goes. It's always been um, in my understanding of it, kind of, it, you know, it's a, it's a two-way kind of street. And, you know, how relevant is a publication going to be? How much power is it going to be able to to wield if it seems like it is completely out of touch with politics and, and with, I guess, normal discourse? So th- there is no doubt that um, to some extent that this is a self-interested move. I don't think that, you know, whoever thought up this campaign uh, decided, you know, they woke up one morning and were like, you know what, like, I think we should, you know, be really giving back a little bit more. They're reflecting what they see in the community. Um, But, you know, that being said, like, you know, it was a a famous um, activist, Saul Linsky, who was like, you know, sometimes the right things are done for the wrong reasons. At the end of the day, if you are saying, are we viewing decisions that are being made by companies like News Corp through the lens of of this kind of, you know, this this problem that we have that's been certified by the science and they've told us what we need to do. It doesn't matter why people necessarily come to some conclusions, why they decide to campaign on it. It's just they they do. And that's why I think people should be uh, continuing to say, we want these debates framed by News Corp in the way that the science suggests and not set by, you know, for instance, the laggards in politics. Hugh, what do you make of the motives? Are they doing the right thing for the wrong reasons or what's going on here? I don't think there's any doubt that uh, a significant part of it is commercial, Um, potential loss of advertisers, I think, you know, and I think that's a good thing. It's a signal to people that, uh, you know, if you, you know, most of the corporate world, by the way, has has moved on with this, they, they, you know, they get it. Uh, so they're they're just sort of catching up a little bit. I agree with the notion that the right thing can be done for the wrong reasons, and if they're doing it, um, you know that's that's fine. I think there's th- there are two issues. One is the commercial issue, and the other one is the fact that the editorial positioning, uh, if you lock it in stone as bullying anyone who who's talking about climate change, etc., you isolate yourself increasingly, uh, and until you look foolish and just like a cartoon satire of of a kind of a of a news out, outlet and and they were heading in that direction uh, would be interesting to see after glasgow what happens i, I suspect that um they're not going to roll over and and rub the tummy of uh, of all the you know climate activists of the world that's not going to be the way in which it's going to go so there's going to be doubtless new arguments to be found about yes but why this measure uh yes but do we have to do that or or one of the things they did when they were really campaigning against the gillard government the rudd government government and the gillard government was to uh put a megaphone around people who've got a cause for complaint so if you're going to bring in a um, a policy that might affect emissions in some way, say in some way to do with the mining industry or some other industry, uh, are they going to then put megaphones around the people who are the losers uh, perceived in this um, and, and really campaign on the basis of being a voice for those who are losers? Because losers will exist, at least in the short term. Uh, so that's the one to watch, I'd say, in the months ahead. Yeah, but, but I mean, questioning policy prescriptions would at least be journalism, right? I mean, would you yeah. agree? Yes. Well, it, well, it depends on the degree to, yes, of course, uh, it de- where it becomes campaigning is where that's all you ever hear. Mm. And, um, you know, they, they ran a series of, 
of really damaging campaigns against the Rudd government during the uh, global financial crisis uh, in the early stage of the Rudd government. When uh, Gillard was in charge of it, they had the building of the Education Revolution, I think they called it, and that was where all the schools were going to get a new school hall or something else and it was going to get built. Um, it was sub subsequently searched through by the auditor, auditor General's office and found there was very little wastage in in that program and that it did good things to develop you know stuff for uh for schools all the way around the country and the money was spent as it was intended to be spent however there were a, a tiny proportion of cases where um five hundred thousand dollars were spent on a crappily built shed um you know these sorts of but it was those ones that were relentlessly picked out and um and put on the front page, particularly of the Australian at that stage. And, and tomorrow there'd be another one. And tomorrow there'd be another one. And tomorrow there'd be another one. And so people who are then drawn to that as their source of information believe that the entire program was demonstrably nothing but a rort uh, and were not being told at all the rest, the rest of, of it. There was no balance to that reporting. And it was a very good example of how a conversation around a policy program can be completely twisted by relentless uh, determination to only show one side of it. They could do that uh, mm. with what follows in the next months. So, so your hope then would be that this is an end to the advocacy that we have seen coming from the News Corp stable and uh, a, a, a move back to the centre of what, straight reporting where, where multiple voices are heard. Well, I don't think they're going to change the spots completely, but I think what, you, what you're going to see is a... A move away from, if you like, the relentless stupidity of the argument that the science has has no bearing. Uh, there will be more finessing around that argument. There will have to be, and there should be. It should be tested. Um, but the absolute sort of recalcitrant position that uh, not only is anything that we do uh, pointless, which has been a, a, a you know, a steady position for a long time, but also the science is wrong, it's lies, it's driven by activists and, um, you know, scientists who are all reliant on corruptly receiving grants. And so that's why they cook the books on this science and this sort of stuff, which has been stock in trade out of um, News Corporation and its various commentators over very many years. Hopefully we'll see a little less of that. What do you think, Cam? Do you think, can you imagine that much of you know, Sky News After Dark, for example, and the opinion pages of the various News Corp papers, are, which are, which are, are frankly, you know, geared around identity politics that flow from, in part, entrenched climate change scepticism. Can you see that simply disappearing or, or even being muted? Yeah, I think, you know, how we see climate change denialism now is increasingly less about saying, well, you know, the the earth isn't warming or whatever. And it's more about um, essentially being sceptical about almost any approach to try and address it uh, in a legitimate way, and particularly saying that we shouldn't have to sacrifice anything to do it. Um, so the the nine papers reported that Joe Hildebrand was, is to be the face of this campaign. And I was reading a 2019 article he wrote. Uh, this is 
during the bushfires, you know, he said that we shouldn't be talking about climate change now because, you know, we're very emotional about the bushfires. And then in it, he also said that, um, you know, we should be doing something about climate change, but we shouldn't have to sacrifice our quality of life or do anything about that. And I think it's, you know, that kind of framing, well, you know, we should do something, we should we should change our lives, or we should try and, you know, reduce our emissions, but without having any real, you know, imposition to what we're doing right now. I think that's kind of what climate change uh, denialism looks at now. And that's what I expect to see continuing from News Corp, because when um, the same day that this report came out, I was listening to the Senate hearing into media diversity, and they were having a hearing um, about specifically about Sky News's suspension from YouTube temporarily for COVID-19 misinformation. And this report came up and um, the Sky News CEO, Paul Whitaker, said, oh, we've always believed in climate change, but the question is, what is the solution and at what cost? You know, framing these debates around just the cost of action, while, as um, Hugh mentioned before, ignoring the current cost of climate change that's happening right now. Like, you know, there was a report that came out um, from a government agency this year saying that, you know, Australian farms have lost $30,000 every year for the last 20 years because of climate change. You know, those costs are very rarely featured into these kinds of uh, coverage that I see from News Corp. And that's kind of what I expect to continue. Okay, can I ask you then, Hugh, if that's all News Corp end up doing, kind of, you know, shaving off the sharper edges of their of their coverage and and focusing more on, uh, uh, you know, the, the the more commercial aspects of climate change, is that going to be enough to rehabilitate what has become um, some fairly damage, you know, fairly damaging reputational uh, risk to them? Well, uh, people who don't like News Corp are going to continue not to like News Corp, regardless almost of whatever they might do. And those who see them as a voice for truth and uh, as the last, uh, last sort of bulwark against socialism and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff, um, they will expect um, that kind of, uh, you know, populist um, conservatism, I suppose, to still be found in both the tabloids and, and broadsheet and their, their sky after dark type of stuff. I don't think uh, that is going to change. I don't personally have a problem, and, and we should never have a problem, with ideas being tested with vigorous debate. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, one of the things that News Corp has done, and I'll to give them credit, through the Australian sometimes, is they have um, they've forced people to sharpen and improve their arguments. Because, uh, you know, if you're going to take a position on a whole bunch of things, there'll be someone at News Corp telling you you're an idiot. And that can be helpful <laughs> in in many ways. So um, it is the distortion and perpetual distortion of um, of what is demonstrable fact is what is damaging. And that is that is the thing which I get the sense they're looking to jettison, take off the sharp edges, as you say, a little bit. They're not going to become something that they're not. But and again, I go back to this, ultimately comes down to the political decision-making uh, with a three-year uh, electoral cycle. Um, we have climate change coming at a rapid pace, but it's still not as rapid as that cycle. And so anything which makes it possible for politicians in, of all stripes, but particularly conservative politicians, to liberate themselves, to make some good choices, uh, can only help. 
Mm. I mean, the refusal to, you know, acknowledge fact is is in part why James Murdoch left the family business, isn't it, in 2020 in a very public spat over editorial, uh, the editorial direction of the company. Um, so, Cam, if, if, if News Corp does genuinely change direction on climate change, do you think uh, James might want his old job back? And, and is this in part about trying to get him back, do you think? Yeah, that, that's a tough one. I'm not uh, privy to the inner workings of James's mind, um, but I do think that it is it, it is a play to get back uh, in the good graces of that kind of audience member, which is someone who is, you know, maybe uh, I guess you know conservative or, or generally you know not super liberal, small L liberal, but can't accept any more um, publications and companies who don't accept. Um, the realities of climate change. You know, the, I think this is in many ways the kind of uh, one at least uh, uh, side of, of conservatism or conservative audiences who who just who just don't want to have that anymore. So, look, you know, News Corp mm-hmm. is is as well. It's a, it's a, a big company, and and sometimes I think you know the the, the loudest voices or at least the most um, obvious voices, and some and this sometimes get kind of blown out of proportion. And we do know that many of the loudest voices have been pretty staunchly anti climate change or climate change denialist. But there are many people within the the stable who who are have been doing good work on it you know places like news.com.au which is you know one of australia's most visited news websites that like that's a news corp uh publication obviously and they traditionally have always tacked uh you know away from that climate change denialism in fact they ran a um a campaign which was um debunking climate change misinformation uh, i think it was last year a little while after the bushfires so there's always a you know a variety of views within it the question is will this i I guess take away some of those louder views who are from people who are outright denying it and 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 those are the ones who attract the most attention and if they do that uh, will they be able to bring some people back into the fold and I, th- I think there's a good chance of that okay look a fabulous discussion both of you but I, to end up the program I just want to pivot away from this issue and onto another one which a lot of people are talking about at the moment particularly on social media and that is what's happened to ABC journalist Lisa Miller she now she's you know one of the ABC's most experienced and respected journalists this week she pulled the plug on her own Twitter account after months and months of abuse and personal attacks, including of her deceased father. Um, You know, now she's got 55,000 followers. You don't pull the plug on that just for nothing. Hugh, we know it's a toxic place for female journos. It's not getting better despite the recognition of the problem. What do you think can be done? Well, I don't think it's it's only toxic for female. I think it's, I think it is toxic for females more than men in general. But I also note that uh, two men who I know well and deeply admire, Stan Grant and Walid Ali, have no social media presence. And yeah. there's a reason why that is. Um, it's because every time they say something, if they were up there and they had a Twitter account, they'd be absolutely hammered up hill and down dale. So I lament uh, that Lisa's been put in that position. I do think that one of the things that dismays me are some of the, uh, sometimes call them the ABC true believers, the um, the ones who uh, are, are leftist uh, in their politics, um, uh, who uh, only want to see reflected back to themselves themselves. Yeah. This, I mean, these character flaws happen from all 
all sides. But I think that most of the toxicity that's been directed at uh, Lisa that I've been aware of have come essentially from um, people who love the ABC. Mm. And I kind of look and think, what on earth do you think you're doing? Yeah, yeah. It um, seems- you know, what what do you have to be to be acceptable to an ABC audience? Yes, it's extraordinary. Yeah, and I, I think this is a this is a, a tragedy because the the thing that makes the ABC a powerful cultural institution, you would say almost without argument, the most important cultural institution in Australia, is that it should be a place in which we all have a stake and have a sense of ourselves in it. Now, a lot of the complaint has come from people from the right and conservatives and and particularly, for example, conservative people of faith, that they don't see their views being reflected on the ABC. And that's well and good. But it seems to me to be particularly disappointing to see those who see themselves as the staunchest supporters of the ABC uh, hounding uh, an ABC lifer. Like uh, like Lisa off social media. It's pretty it's pretty awful. Cam, I mean, to me, a lot of this kind of comes back to a really fundamental point, a fundamental question that I often ask, and that is, should journalists actually just get off the platform? What are we What are they doing on Twitter? <laughs> well, I'm I'm like somewhat of an internet reporter, and and I have to credit actually places like Twitter, in fact, mostly Twitter, for getting a lot of my jobs because it's helped me kind of make connections and and get my work out there in in the industry. So I'm a pretty pro Twitter, but I'm also someone who has written very critically about the tech platforms and how they protect their users. So I I kind of see it in both ways. You know, I actually come from my my first couple of jobs in in journalism were radio, and I, I view things like Twitter as being, you know, very similar to talkback radio. And so, you know, when you've got this large audience, particularly um, like Lisa has, like both of you have, in fact, um, I know that, you know, you have a huge amount of people following you. And that means that no matter, you know, how good most of them are, um, you're still going to have a small proportion of them who just by, you know, law of numbers are going to be, you know, nutters or or aggrieved for whatever reason. And and because of that, you know, there is this incredible um, abuse that people who have a large audience will get. And I I think that's very, very hard to deal with. You know, the human brain isn't meant to deal with tens or hundreds or thousands of people yelling you at one time. That being said, I I do think there's like, there are a lot of benefits for being on it. You know, like I, I've got so many story tips. I've heard feedback on my stories, good and bad. Yeah. I, I, I deal with kind of abuse as well. And, And I think part of that has been, you know, hardening my skin to, you know, be like, well, if someone, you know, calls you a dickhead, but they, you know, obviously misunderstood your thing or you know obviously haven't taken the the effort to care about it well then you know you, you can't really care too much about what they think um but and you know there are tools on the platforms as well to kind of mute things as well uh, as well but overall you know i think journalism going you know we're well into the, the 21st century now you know going forward we need to do as much as we can to bring our audiences along with us to explain how what we do and how it works and for me twitter has been an incredible tool for that to show but, people but how if, i do but, journalism but, but cam if they're not listening unless you're doing journalism the way they want you to do journalism <laughs> what's the point well the thing is if you're not there there are going to be other people out there spreading the wrong kind of information and i think that's where a lot of this these attacks happen 
on journalists who sometimes, you know, make a mistake as everyone does, or sometimes when they don't and people either criticizing them, don't understand what they put out there, maybe don't have a good fundamental understanding of journalism. You know, with, with people at the ABC, I often see them getting smashed for not coming out and having some super opinionated take when, you know, obviously that's not what they're there to do. So I I think like there is, uh, you know, on places like Twitter, on Facebook and all these social media platforms, there's a lot of people out there that get in their information. I think it behooves journalists to be out there, to be making the case of, here's what I know, here's how I found out this, and here's why you should trust me. Mm-mm. Hugh, uh, you know, you're, um, you know, you're pretty, ac- you're active on Twitter. Um, are you sticking with it or does the complete, you know, lack of tolerance and, and also sometimes the evident disinterest in the role of journalism, is that, is that annoying? Well, I've got a, a, a thick skin, which is not to say others don't have a thick skin, but I don't particularly care what people say about me. Um, I, I don't, you know, there's this notion of mute and block and that sort of stuff. I've blocked maybe a dozen people in 10 years or 12 years on Twitter. And, that, and you have to be excessively vile uh, and also repeatedly <laughs> excessively vile to get blocked by me. That's not a challenge when you're out there listening, by the way. Um, <laughs> but um, because I do think that, um, f- you know, I don't have a problem with people criticizing me uh, on, on the work I do. Some of it is right. Some of it is just completely off the mark. And the and you get the usual stuff, you know, that accuse you to be a Murdoch clone or something. People are just ill-informed. You know, they're, they're, they don't, you know, they're attacking you with a, from a basis of just complete ignorance as to, you know, even who you work for half the yeah. time. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm not, I'm not troubled. And I think it's useful to, to feel, if you like, the anger that's out there. Twitter's not a good polling system. It self-selects the angry, I suspect, and also those who are engaged. But nevertheless, it's it's good to feel for where are the passions and the angers and the, you know, and the things that are going on out there. And that's part of a journalist's antenna. Um, so I think it has value. I think it's great in breaking news. Uh, I find it a, a good source of um uh, you know, a very useful way of finding out what's going on around the world and, and checking in on things. If you're looking at the fall of Kabul or anything, you can immediately see streams of live product coming in from both acknowledged sites, whether it's a BBC reporter or, um, but also from, from others who may be an Afghan journalist or, or someone in civil society giving stuff. And it gives you an immediate window to a lot of different uh, points of view about something that's going on. So I, I think it's almost for a journalist, um, uh, just an inescapable and necessary part of what we do, and I quite enjoy it. Well, I, I do often enjoy it, although I do worry about its distorting um, impact on, on, on journalism. But on that note, I think we've run out of time. I thank you both for a fascinating discussion. Uh, Hugh Rimmerton and Cam Wilson, thank you both for being on Fourth Estate. Great to be with you. Thank you. On that note, I'd like to thank Hugh Rimmerton and Cam Wilson for being on Fourth Estate. And thank you to you as well for listening to the program. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. 
Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and thanks to them for their continuing support. Make sure you subscribe to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so that you can hear us talk everything media, politics and, of course, everything in between. We're back with more next week, but in the meantime, stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is Fourth Estate AU. Thanks to my producer, Anthony Dockball. My name's Monica Attard and thank you for listening. Thank you.